So today I'm going to tell you the story of Robert and Edwina Goff. They were both born and grew up in apartheid. And for those who don't know what apartheid is, it was a system of instant, institutionalized racism. It was an oppression that existed in South Africa against non-white people, established by white people. The system of segregation or discrimination on the grounds of race was literally named separatedness, or separated or apart. Apartheid is translated into English what it meant, separated. And this is the regime or the oppressive system in which they, they lived a large majority of their life. Because Robertson and Vina were not white, they could not choose where to live. They lived in communities created and um, established for non-whites and were often pushed out of where they were living to be put into these separate places. They could not choose where to go to school if that was even an option. They did not have a choice of where to do something as simple as buy food. They were penalized unfairly and often forced to use separate, well not often, they were forced to use separate facilities. There were just many, many devastating aspects of apartheid, which also plunged all non-white people into great poverty, depression, and um, terrible hopelessness. Can you imagine if you were living this life, or, li um, or living, or not even knowing someone living this way, and someone says to you, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I think my response to them would be, you be patient, which seems trivial, but also because it would have seemed that unrealistic that someone could see, say to you, be patient in such a hopeless and um, terrible situation. And it really seems impossible to provide a statement that feels adequate to exhort or encourage anyone in a situation like this. Except that is exactly what James says to a group of oppressed, poverty-stricken Christians who are suffering at the hands of rich landowners. He says to them, be patient. And he encourages them to do so until the coming of the Lord. Obviously, the time and the hour unknown. He encouraged them in view of the wrongdoing being done to them and in spite of it. The story of Robert and Edwina may be a severe and dire example of experiencing wrongdoing when experiencing times of trouble. You could say the same for the story of the oppressed Christian people, a dire and severe situation that you couldn't imagine yourself ever being in. And you wonder, will I ever experience hardship like that? And not everyone will experience hardship and trouble like that. However, it does say in John 16, that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. You see, the hardship doesn't come in sizes. It is that is appropriate for comparison. The hardship is relevant and relative to your life, but it is inevitable. So the question rather is, how do I respond? not whether the hardship will happen. What happens when I face trouble? What is my resolve in those situations? James continues in this scripture that he writes to the group of oppressed Christians. Be patient therefore, brothers and sisters until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the Lord is standing at the door. In this verse, James is using the word patient um, to encourage them to be slow to anger. The Strong's definition, uh, definition is to be long-spirited or forbearing patiently, to be long-suffering, having patient or patiently enduring. It's basically saying that it should take you a lot to get angry or that you should simply not get angry and that you shouldn't lash out and don't get upset, but trust rather that God is going to do what is right. James is giving us an illustration of how we should wait as well. Yes, with patience, to be long-suffering, but it gives us a real example of the farmer waiting for precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. I like the message version too. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. This is so real to us, especially in central Illinois, where so many farmers are familiar with droughts and waiting patiently and having to trust that their harvest will come. The farmer is, one could say, experienced with waiting and does so in a way that suggests that he knows the harvest will come. He knows that the produce is going to come as we should know that Jesus is going to come. And I think that's really what I get away from this specific line that James is um, speaking to this group of people is that we should wait with the posture of knowing. We should wait for Jesus like we know he's going to be coming. Just like a farmer waits for that harvest, knowing that the harvest will be produced, irrespective of the length of wait or the circumstances between sowing the seed and waiting for the harvest. Like I said, which often is drought. A farmer does not give up when the harvest doesn't immediately come. He keeps on working even when the crop cannot be seen. So Christians must work hard and exercise patience, is what James is saying. Endurance even when we do not see the harvest. When I read this, it also reminded me of a very, very recent interaction with my three-year-old son, Zion. We were in the car and really for the last few months, our whole family has just been really young, struck by sickness and it's been weeks and weeks of going around and whether it's mom or dad or our youngest baby daughter um, or Zion, but more specifically, it's, most, it's mostly been Zion. And this has been like the third or fourth week that he's sick and he's strapped in and I'm at the back of the car and we're about to drop his sister at daycare. And he says to me, mommy, I'm still sick. And I said, yes, I know, son, um, but you're going to get better. You know, we've prayed. And he says to me, mommy, no, prayer isn't working. Jesus isn't working. I just, nothing is working. Um, referring to the fact that also the medicine hadn't been working. And in that moment, my heart just broke because I felt his hopelessness. And really, I just wanted to engage in his moment of hopeless and feel hopeless with him. But I knew that the right thing to do was encourage him and encourage him 
to keep waiting and trusting that Jesus was going to come through and that healing was going to come. And so I took a deep breath and I said, Z, we're going to pray again. Jesus is working. Jesus is always working and you will get better. The reality is so often us as adults respond just like the young child does to things that don't happen in our time. We become impatient and certainly do not practice patience the way James has described, long, enduring the long suffering. We give up. We are quick to resolve that Jesus isn't working, that nothing is working, and then decide in fact that what is the point of all of this anyway? Waiting on the Lord produces faith. If we got everything instantly, there would be no reason for Jesus and there would be no reason for us to, an opportunity for us to foster faith. It is a tough lesson for us to learn and a tough situation to have to walk through, waiting, without any certainty of knowing and things to repeatedly seem to be bad. But waiting does produce our faith and God is in the silence and what seems to us like in the absence of him. He is in fact never absent. He is always working and he's always there. God is between Jesus' death and resurrection. He's between the dreadful night and the joyful morning. God is in the miraculous, but God is also in the healing journey. And we have to resolve to wait like we know that he is going to break through. We have to become confident in his coming by establishing our hearts. This challenges our convictions, it challenges my convictions. How am I waiting for Jesus? Is my resolve to give up quickly because I don't feel like he's working? Is my resolve to, to just start disbelieving? Because, well, he, he's not, he hasn't healed me. Uh, I've seen miracles happening and yet I'm still struggling with this thing. Jesus, I'm still suffering. It keeps happening. Bad times keep coming up. Troubles are always arising. It feels like I've just been in a perpetual season of hardship. It challenges our conviction even in the small troubles on a daily basis. What is, are, we, are we waiting on Jesus? Are we trusting on him? Where is our faith at? Are we establishing our hearts for the coming of the Lord? It challenges the tension of being expecting for miracles to happen in a moment and staying expecting for freedom. From, for freedom, deliverance, or healing that takes time. How do we wrestle with this? How do we wrestle with the fact that Jesus is in both situations, in both those miraculous moments and the slow healing journey? How do we wrestle with the fact that Jesus can right now show up and let a blind man see or cause a blind man to see, but not potentially have fully finished dealing with that same blind man's fear. That in that moment he's miraculously healed from an external or physical ailment, but he is still having to journey for that internal battle and that internal iniquity. Jesus is in both situations, and the truth is Jesus is always working. So in that situation, he's worked immediately and he's doing slow work. And in both of the situations, what he wants is relationship. 
He wants us to resolve to the fact that He is not just coming, but He's always there. James then shifts the address to interpersonal relationships in the church. You must you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. What is he saying here? Don't complain. Don't get impatient. Don't get irritable. Don't grumble against each other. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're probably all trying to think back right now or maybe think of a situation or maybe you're not trying to think of one. But if we all have to be honest and think of a time where we have started grumbling against each other or got irritable or impatient and decided to take it out on the people close to us or our fellow believers, we may have come instantly come up with an example. However, I'd like to remind everyone of just recently, when we collectively experienced and still are experiencing trouble and the hardship of COVID. I would say that for almost all of us, we could say that there were times and our times that we have responded with grumbling against each other, irritability and impatience, that our resolve has definitely not been to wait like we know there's going to be breakthrough, wait like we know there's going to be an answer and a solution and that it's going to be healing and that this will come to an end. I think at one or other moment we've all felt like this will never end. This is hopeless. Jesus, where are you? What, what is the solution? Like, will anything ever go back to normal? Why, you know, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Why, the beliefs that people and the convictions that were shaken in that time. I think what happened was that collective experience of trouble uh, was really revealing to us of how established our hearts are for the coming of the Lord. And again, doesn't that challenge our conviction? When we have to long suffer, and it has been long suffering, it absolutely has been long suffering, but have we been establishing our hearts for the coming of the Lord in that time? Or have we been like the young child who's impatient and wants to throw his arms up and say nothing's working and I give up and I'm, it's hopeless? Another example of people who, in the biblical example of people who responded well, are of course Paul and Silas, right? We think back to the story of Robert and Edwina and the, the, the circumstances in which they were living. Um, we think back to our very recent experience of going through COVID, but then we think of this biblical example. Paul and Silas unfairly and unrightly being imprisoned. And in fact, I'm going to read the scripture because it's not so much what they went through, but their response to it that I wanted to highlight. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul. This is out of Acts. And Acts 22, 16 verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
I'm going to stop there because that's the crux of it really. We read up until then, just again, die in severe situation, poor insiders find themselves at the hands of people that are treating them just unjustly, unrightly, like just terribly. And they resolve to respond by worshipping. And I imagine that one could only respond like that when in prison after being beaten and shackled. You could only possibly respond in worship if you've had your hearts established for the coming of the Lord. Because in my mind, how else do you do that? How else do you choose to walk that situation or live that situation or respond to that situation in that way? It seems impossible. And again, it even seems impossible to encourage someone in that situation. Like James says, to be patient, to be slow to anger. They, they never surrendered to despair, and nor did they lament on their sufferings. They fixed their eyes on Jesus. They fixed their eyes on the one that they knew would set them free. This story and the story of Robert and Edwina are similar in that way. Robert and Edwina meet Jesus in a powerful, powerful way. And that powerful encounter with Jesus causes Robert and Edwina to daily start establishing their hearts for the coming of the Lord. And again, how do we establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord? That is obviously something we have to do with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's obviously going to be a daily practice. This is not something that I'm encouraging anyone to do with any sort of ease because it's definitely not something we can be able to do in our own flesh anyway or through our own will or striving. This is definitely something we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to do. And in this case, this is exactly what Robin and Edwina did. They encounter, they have a powerful encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit breaks in and helps them daily to establish the hearts. And while they continue to face hardship, they persevere, they endure, they long suffer, they start patiently waiting. And when I thought back to the story of Robert and Edwina, the first thing that came to mind wasn't in fact that Robert and Edwina are people that long suffered, exactly because of the way they walked their life. Their resolve was also to respond in worship. Just like Paul and Silas's resolve was to respond in worship. Their resolve was to respond with prayer. Their resolve was to respond in praise. And the result of Robert and Edwina deciding to walk like, like that, with faith, with joy, is and a lot of the other fruits of the Spirit, in fact, that Scott had spoken about previously, was to eventually start seeing the harvest. And the reality is, is that they didn't do any of that stuff for the harvest. They simply did it to endure and survive. And to, to in a knowing that if, whether it was in this life or whether it was in heaven, that Jesus was coming and he was going to make things right. It wasn't for harvest. It wasn't for somebody getting the penalty that they felt they deserved. It was simply because God is good and God is good all the time. And he's always working. And he's working in this diocese situation. And he's going to be working in our future. And irrespective of what happens, we know that that's the truth. And we're going to cling on to that and we're going to keep our heart posture. Um, 
in that way of praising and worshipping and praying in the midst of the storm. But God loves us so much and God loved them so much that the harvest started coming anyway. And even as their eldest daughter standing here today, as just one of the things that they've experienced, that one of the fruits, one of the harvests, the manifestation of what it looks like to live your life this way. It took me so much time to think of their story as being of two people who endured long suffering or long suffered or patiently waited because that is not how they walked their life. They didn't complain. And their healing was so profound that the only thing that they passed on to me was hope rather than hurt. So it was only by closer inspection and speaking with my mom recently that I got this deep revelation that, wait, this is what it looks like to walk this road well. This is what it looks like when we're healed. This is what it looks like to establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord. It looks like I didn't even realize that you were a good example of people who've long suffered because you never even talk about it. And here I am, and I have a brother and a sister, and we have, you know, they're a bunch of grandkids. Um, and like I said, that's just some of the harvest that my parents have experienced um, in this life. And it's to me, it's, it's real and it's so close, but it makes it also just real that this is something that God can do. He can do it. And, it, and again, I, I can't tell you, um, I couldn't tell you all the harvest that they'll receive. I think this is something that only heaven can really measure. I think oftentimes it's only going to be heaven that can measure the harvest of people who establish their hearts for the coming of the Lord like my parents have and continue to do. They have continued to do what is right even when treated unfairly and wrongly. They have stayed the course. They have persevered under difficulty. And that's my encouragement and as I come to a close here today, it's just that, exactly that, is that we can get to a place where we are convicted of our response and the way we resolve to respond to trouble. And that our conviction is going to encourage us to want to change our resolve, to maybe examine our hearts. How established is my heart for the coming of the Lord? How do I respond in trouble? How do I respond to hardship? How do I respond when I feel like I've been treated unfairly or wrong has been done to me or someone that I love or someone that is close to me? How do I respond when we collectively go through something that is troubling or hard or challenging and that presses from us on the outside? This is an encouragement to ask the Holy Spirit, invite him into that situation, invite him in to say, strengthen my heart in the waiting. Strengthen our hearts in the waiting. Help us establish our hearts, Jesus, for your coming. And to do this daily, because I don't think this is a one-off thing. This is an everyday thing. My parents didn't once off go through a hard season and have to get through it. The hard season has been going, really, it went on for very long. And there will be hard times and have been since then. And rather than it just being a season of long suffering, I think their walk has been such that it is an everyday dealing with long suffering or just dealing with hardship. I want to encourage us to resolve to start responding in worship. That our resolve should be to respond in praise. And that our 
resolve should be to pray. Pray and not grumble. Pray and not moan. But most of all, that we resolve to being hungry to establish our hearts and our conviction for Jesus' coming. Jesus, thank you that you are still on the throne and that you always are and that you are good today, tomorrow and forever. That you are always working and that you are always working for the good for those who love the Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to establish our hearts, to deepen our conviction for the coming of the Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to not be quick to anger, to long suffer in a way that others look to us wanting to know how we did it. And so that we can turn to them and say, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. To live a life that endures in, only a, way, in a way that can only be because of you, God. And let everything that we do and every way in which we handle things be to your glory, Jesus. Help us to repent, strengthen us, and heal us from hurts where we need to be healed. So that what we pass on is hope. Help us to raise generations that are going to be change agents, clinging to the future because of you, Jesus, and clinging to the work that you're doing 